0: Oh Lord our God, Lord we praise your name, we thank you that you are almighty and all powerful and that you are in control and that we can lean into you. Each and every day we can put our faith and our trust and you are a fortress for us. Lord I pray that our our seniors would recognize that, that they would lean into you more and more each day as you allow the word to plant in them. Lord, I pray that today You would use my words and that they would be Your words and not mine. And that You would speak loudly and that I would be quiet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through this series on the Beatitudes and we call it Finding Happy. And you see, worldly happiness is fleeting because it's based in our happenings. But true happiness is based in who is happening inside of you. And so you know, today is graduation, and some of you are maybe in a time of mourning, and others of you may be in a time of praise. You see, it's not exactly the same thing, but I remember when I was driving off to college and looking in my rearview mirror, and everybody was sad except for my mother and my brother Dirk. In fact, I think my brother Dirk had a little smile on his face, and he couldn't wait to get that head start so that he could uh, commandeer my room by the time I made it to Colby Community College. My mom, she loved me, but uh, I was kind of a pistol at that time. Some of the things that I'm going to talk about today were some of the reasons why my mom, I think, was ready for me to go off to college. Whether graduation is a sad time or whether it's a, a happy time is based on the person. But I'm here to tell you that if you think getting out of your mom and dad's house or going to college is all of a sudden going to change everything and you're going to be happy, newsflash, it's not. It's not. I mean, if you're not happy right now, wherever you're at, if, the, if this does not make you happy, I promise you that anywhere you go will not change that. And I speak this sermon to myself because I have a tendency to lack contentment in my own life. But I promise you that happiness is in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not about where we live. It's not about the possessions we have. It's not about who we date or who we marry. It's about Jesus We so often think that if we get a new cell phone, if we get a a new car, if we find a spouse, we get a new house, everything is going to be okay. But honestly, those are the things that cause trouble and trials in our life, anyways. But thank God that our Jesus is revolutionary. I mean, his ideas of what is going to bless us and give us happiness is opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us that we're to be rich. That we're to be helpful or happy in our sinful desires. That we're to have aggression and be arrogant and pretentious. That we're to be full and deceitful. I mean, we're to do whatever it takes to get on top. And we're to argue with everybody. Wear them down until we finally get what is ours. And you better be commended. And you better be respected. But the problem is every one of these things leads to self-comfort. And it leads to needing more and more to actually be satisfied. We will only thrive on Jesus' comfort, not self-comfort. It's so important as we go through these Beatitudes that we understand that they're not works-based. These are transformational-based. And Jesus is that transformation. We have to be so careful that we don't replace the Ten Commandments with the Beatitudes or even the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we do, we will miss what Jesus is saying. The entire message that Jesus is laying out Everything. Everything is about leaning in to Jesus. So turn your, bath- your, your bathrooms, your Bibles to Matthew 5. Whoo! Alright. Woo! Alright, 5-1. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. We have to stop there. I think so often we kind of glance... Past that, But I think we really need to focus on it and understand that, that we get to sit and just listen to the Creator of the universe. I mean, what other religion has that? What other religion lets you just sit and have a relationship with the Creator of everything? This leads us to Matthew 5.2. And He opened His mouth and He taught them saying... He taught them saying... I mean, we have that kind of access with Jesus right here in His Word. We can study and listen and just sit there and listen to this Creator. In His sermon in Matthew, it completely goes against what the world would tell us and even what the church has taught us. So often, even in the church, we think that we are blessed if we have money. We're blessed if we have life. We're blessed if we have health. We're blessed if we are married. We're blessed and we're blessed if we have all these things. When in reality, you can have all these things. And if you don't have Jesus, you are cursed. Last week, we discussed Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world would say that we are blessed when we are rich monetarily. But the world is always looking for more. Where is the contentment? And I get it. Jesus is not necessarily talking about money here. But we must understand how money works in it. You see, it's not just about money. It's not about the money we have, but how we view money. In the early 1900s, John Rockefeller had 1% of the entire U.S. economy. He owned 90% of the oil and gas industry. And when somebody asked him how much was enough, he responded just a little bit more. And you contrast that with machinery maker R.G. Letourneau, who at the age of 30 went into business with God. You see, he was bankrupt physically, and through that physical bankrupt, he realized that he was spiritually bankrupt, and he made a deal with God. So many of us, we make a deal with God and we break it, but not Letourneau. You see, he eventually gave away 90% of his income. He poured his income into ministries. Into the kingdom of God. This man was responsible for 299 patents. At one point, nearly 70% of the earth moving equipment in the world were because of him. As rich as this man was monetarily, his true richness was found in Jesus. Man, he found his happiness in something greater. We cannot buy God but we must give Him everything. It's so important to realize that the Beatitudes are not like the spiritual gifts. We don't get to pick and choose. God didn't bless us with some and not others. Every one of these work together. Every one of these is like recognizing our inability to be blessed on our own and giving up ownership to Jesus. But even with that said, it's important for us to understand each element and how it should look in our life. So last week we studied spiritual bankruptcy. We can never repay the sin debt that we owe Jesus. It's like having a debt bigger than the U.S. government. And that's a big debt. But our Jesus has a bank account that is infinitely larger. And when he died on that cross, it was like switching those bank accounts. And on top of that, this is so important, he did not just pay off our debt, but he gave us something infinite in exchange. The kingdom of God. So we move on to mourning. But I tend to like to view this as comforted. I mean, this is what Jesus gives us in return. We mourn our sin and recognize it, and Jesus gives us this infinite comfort in exchange. And to the world, it makes no sense. But when we follow Jesus, it makes perfect sense. I ask you today, I challenge you, does it bother you? Do you mourn over your sin? a good way to know if you are Jesus's, if sin really bothers you. You see, I speak these sermons to myself often, and before I came to Jesus, I treated my wife terribly. I treated people terribly. I treated myself terribly. And when I finally said that Jesus is who He said He was, and better yet, had probably the Holy Spirit speaking through me, I cannot tell you how much I mourned over my sin, how much I mourned how bad I treated people, I still do because I haven't been able to find everybody that I treated so terribly and ask them forgiveness. Trust me, I've tried. Do you mourn over the way we've treated people? Matthew 5.4 Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's not saying if you cry a lot or a lot of bad things happen to you that, that you can experience comfort. He's not saying that at all. Or if you lose your job, now you're the one that's comforted. And you that have a job, you can't be comforted because life is too easy. He's not saying that. You see, it's saying that mourning is this acknowledgement of sin. It's this mourning of sin that that leads to Jesus. And it's Jesus that does the comforting. And if we're really going to understand this mourning and comfort... We have to understand it who it is we're leaning into. And I get it. If you've been in the church for any time at all, you've heard all of this. But today I want to th- you to think about it so closely and lean in to Jesus. I love Isaiah 61. Let's read it. Just the first part here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So as we read that, first of all, we got to understand who is speaking it. Isaiah the prophet, he's writing it down, but he's hearing it and he's writing down what he hears. And then we go to Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Often we hear this at Christmas time. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Jesse is David's father. And then the book of Samuel tells us that the Messiah will come from this root of David. And then Luke, he tells us exactly who this is. In Luke chapter 1, 31 and 32. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father, David. It's Jesus. I mean, Jesus is speaking here in Isaiah 61 through the prophet. And this should give us this reassurance as we lean into Jesus for our comfort. And we also know that this is Jesus because in Luke 4, Jesus walks up and He pulls out this scroll. And He reads this part as He amazes the people in the synagogue in Nazareth. He reads this part and He basically mic drops His authority and fulfillment. Isaiah 61:1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. These beatitudes are about freedom from evil, freedom from the brokenheartedness, the bondage of sin, the ways of the world. And it's about this freedom to God's kingdom, to God's comfort. Jesus, He fulfilled all of this. And He will also fulfill this part in the future. Verse 2 of Isaiah 61. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus is the perfect judge, now and forevermore. And in the same moment that He will carry out his perfect favor for all those who pour out their spirit. All of those who mourn and are meek. He will also be the perfect judge on those who lean into themselves and the ways of the world. Revelation seven, Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. You see, there is comfort in those who mourn their sin and recognize it. And there is agony in those who do not. We can either wail and mourn because of our sin, or we can wail and moan because of the consequences of our sin. It matters why we mourn. Not whether or not. Not just whether or not we mourn. Isaiah 61.3 To grant those who mourn in Zion. And we have to stop there. What is Zion? Zion. You see, Zion started as this Jebusite fortress that David captures in the city of Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem becomes a possession of Israel. The royal palace is built there. Jerusalem is now the capital of this Israel kingdom. Solomon goes on to build a temple. And this term expands to mean the temple. So Zion originally means this this fortress. God is is our fortress. And and Zion represents God. Where is God? Well, God was in the temple. God was in Jerusalem. God was and is in the Israelites. And God is in you. He is our fortress. And He supplies everything. Let's keep reading. He supplies everything and so much more to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So when we mourn, we become possessions of Jesus, a resident of Zion. When we mourn, we we lean into Jesus. Jesus, He steps in and He gives us this beautiful headdress or a crown instead of ashes. And throughout the Bible, we see these ashes as a recognition of our mourning and understanding of our sin. A great example is in Jonah. I mean, what happens in Nineveh when Jonah, he rolls into town reluctantly and he drops a five-word sermon in the Hebrew. He basically says, Turn or burn, O Nineveh. It's a loose translation. But look what happens. Jonah 3, 5 and 6. And behold, the people of Nineveh believed God. They don't believe God because the king tells them to. They believe God before the king comes into the picture. And they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then in verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and he removed his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. Morning's uncomfortable. Morning is not fun. And the problem with this world is that we have become comfortable with sin. We even find it fun. So especially you seniors, but a night out drinking, whether I like to admit it or not, can be fun. But multiple, multiple, after multiple nights out drinking, and you become an alcoholic, no longer becomes fun. Too much of one thing now becomes a curse in your life, and it becomes torment. Hold on to my words. I've already experienced it. I pray that we don't come, become comfortable in sin, that we mourn it. It's not fun to wear sackcloth. It's not fun to sit in ashes. Sin leads to death, and we must be reminded of it often. Sin leads to torment, but Jesus leads to life. Jesus leads to comfort. To me, it's not scary when people sin. It's scary to me when people stop seeing sin as sin. Listen closely. You see, if I struggle with sin and battle with it, then I am acknowledging my sin, and therefore I am mourning over it. But if I have come to terms that my sin is no longer sin, then I cease to be repentant, and I no longer have a need for a Savior. And I must question whether or not I have surrendered to Jesus Christ. Think about it. And then think about this. It's not just about taking away our sin. It's about so much more. As we read on in this scripture, we see this oil of gladness instead of mourning. This oil of gladness instead of mourning. If I acknowledge that I am a sinner, then Jesus can produce gladness in me. I mean, true gladness. This word oil means to pour over somebody. It's the word shemen in the Hebrew So you would say, Shemen Sasan. Basically, Jesus is saying here, when we mourn our sin, we can now pour, He now pours over us exultation and gladness. And it doesn't stop there. He gives us this garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. He clothes us with praise instead of sackcloth. We are clothed in Jesus. We now have a spirit that is uplifting and bright rather than a spirit that is dim. And then it keeps going. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. Are you rooted? Are you solid in righteousness? We are righteous because we are residents of Zion. We are Jesus's. The planting of the Lord that He, Jesus, may be glorified. He is planting in us so that Jesus may be glorified. None of this praise is about us. We are to remain humble and loving. We are not the focal point. Jesus is the focal point. Which leads us to Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In today's society, this word meek can have a negative connotation. I mean, who wants to be known as somebody who gives in? Somebody who is weak? Somebody who takes a back seat? Not me. Man, I want to be known as a warrior, a conqueror, a right on righteous dude. That's a shout out to my father-in-law who takes no prisoners. But this word meek is perus in the Greek. It literally means to tame a wild animal. There's so many people in the world that are not tame. But how much power do we see in a tame animal? How worthless is a horse that has not been tamed? But how powerful and useful can they be after they are tamed? I mean, think of the benefits of a tame dog. It has a job. It has purpose. It keeps people safe. It's, it's in control. It's calm. It's confident. How often, especially in Mexico, when I go down there, do you see a wild dog that's kind of skittish, doesn't know if it wants to be around people, and when it gets scared, it attacks out of fear. And we do the same thing. I do the same thing. I so often would attack people out of this fear, using my words as weapons to, to belittle people. And I challenge us not to do that, but but so often when we're flesh, we do that even as followers of Jesus Christ. Meekness right here is really just power under control. God's control. We are kind and gentle because we love Jesus. And meekness makes a difference in people's lives. When was the last time you were won over by somebody that was mean and abrasive? I mean, this is the world we live in right now the politics, everything around us. Everybody is fighting. Everybody is mean and abrasive. Even us. How often do we fight for our beliefs but give up our morals in the process? When we speak truth in a mean and abrasive way, it does nothing other than make this person hate and distrust us. You see, as Christians, we do not get to fight the way the world does. We live in a different way. We must argue in a different way. We must defend in a different way. We must communicate in a different way. And when we mess up, we must ask for forgiveness. We must care about the feelings of others, whether we agree with them or not. Now, that does not mean that we sugarcoat everything. It means that we speak truth in a gentle and kind way. 1 Peter 3.15 but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, I remember a little over 10 years ago when I was working for my dad. And I told one of my coworkers to go do a job. And, and he went there all right. He drove all the way to Wheatland to go do a job. And he came back and I said, well, did you get it done? He said, no, I didn't really want to do it. I couldn't figure it out. And I, and I just went offline. I mean, I called him every four-letter word that you can think of. Called him the worthless person. Told him he wasn't worth the money that we paid him. I just was like a wild beast. And I treated him like he was an animal. And I wish this was a one-time story, but over and over again, I can't tell you how many apprentices I had in the 15 years that I worked for my dad. And it didn't stop there. I even hurt my dad once physically because I was angry, because I was a wild beast. And through all this, I'd eventually apologize, but the damage was done. The words we say and the actions we take will always leave a mark, even after we've asked for forgiveness. And right now, as I look out at this world, we see this bold and abrasive people that are running it. But the Word of God tells us that the meek will inherit the earth. Is that who we are? Are we the meek? That's my challenge. And we need to take examples from Scripture. Two people in the Bible, two probably the most important people in the Bible are Moses and Jesus, and they are described as being meek. As we look through Matthew, his whole purpose is to use Moses, somebody that the Jewish people understand, to show this comparison to Jesus. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the more complete Moses. And Moses is described as meek in Numbers 12.3. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And right now, to set the context, Moses is being attacked by Miriam. He's being attacked by Aaron. And Moses chooses not to defend himself. And so God does, which is better anyways, right? And then we read Numbers 12, 6-8. If this doesn't hit home, I don't know what does. And God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, makes myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and beholds the form of the Lord, and then this should scare you. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. Moses is a big deal. Moses is unique. He has access to God that nobody has at this time. And God's like, what are you doing? I mean, what are you doing, Miriam? What are you doing, Aaron? Do you not realize that Moses has the power to call down some very, very bad things on you? But God steps in and he calls down leprosy on Miriam for her punishment. But what does Moses do? What would you do? Moses, he calls on God to heal her. Is that how you would speak against the people who have spoke against you? Is that how you would call on liberals or maybe even millennials or atheists or whatever it is? Or maybe just the sister and brother that you haven't talked to in a week, a month, or maybe a year? Because they offended you. If you want to take any application from today, I challenge every one of you to leave this place and call somebody that maybe this has happened to you, or maybe go visit them. Better yet, life is way too short to have people in our life like that. This does not mean that you're weak, quite the opposite. Moses was not weak, Moses chose not to defend himself. It takes more of a man to allow himself to be tamed than it does for a man to let his tongue rage like a wildfire. James 1.21 Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. I mean, do we let the word of the Lord penetrate and save our soul? Moses did. Moses is meek, but does this sound like a weak man? Moses declared to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let my people go. Moses called on God to push back the waters of the Red Sea as they walked across on dry land. Moses led the entire nation across the desert. Does that sound like a weak man? But even in all of it, there's something very big about between Moses and Jesus. See, Moses had an anger problem. Moses killed an Egyptian soldier. Moses smashed the Ten Commandment tablets out of anger. Moses struck the rock out of anger. And yeah, I get it. He asked for forgiveness. But our Jesus is more complete. He never had to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that in Him might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin and yet He emptied Himself. Philippians 2, 6-8, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know we don't always think about it, but imagine being the creator of everything and you have to come into these broken bodies. And at the end of His life, I mean, Jesus could have called down legions from heaven and the end of the Gospels could have been a lot different. Jesus did not have to take the beating. Jesus did not have to take the belittling. Jesus did not have to take on the cross. Jesus did not have to take on the pain. But He chose to. He allowed Himself to take this on so that it could release the greatest power in the history of the universe. Because of His meekness, we can be meek. We can give our life to Jesus. We can allow Him to tame us so our life becomes actually more powerful than we can ever imagine. We give up our own pride, our own selfish desire. We give up being the God of our life so that Jesus can work infinitely greater things in our life. And it's all To his glory. Matthew 5:4, as I finish, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And five: blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, I often preach to myself. Before Jesus, I used to be angry and wild and lost and confused, and I hated others. I hated myself. I hated everything. It was about the time when I was a senior in high school. And I challenge you to turn to the Lord Jesus and allow Him to comfort you. You see, when the Holy Spirit took over, my anger turned to sadness. The way that I treated others made me sad. It made me mourn. And my wildness was tamed and I no longer was lost but found. I was no longer confused but had order in my life. And my hate turned to love for others and myself. Just like all of you, I'm so far from perfect. But I can promise you, especially you seniors, especially anybody in this room, as, as long as we are looking to be blessed by the ways of the world, I promise you that you will never find it. You will build house after house after house after house, and you will never find it. But if we look for blessed in the hands of Jesus, it will lead to comfort, and it will lead to an inheritance that is far beyond what we can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, I love You thank you for your word. I thank you for your sermon that was so revolutionary. I thank you that we can be comforted by you, that we can lean into you, and that when we trust in you that there's something greater than the ways of this world that they can offer us. Lord, I pray that if anybody has not turned to you at this moment, that they would. That they would stop living their ways for themselves and the ways of the world and they would turn and live such a greater life in you. And that your hand would be upon them and that your face would shine upon them and that they would know and feel your power and that they would ultimately give you glory because that is what matters. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.